Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If we've not met before, um, it's uh, great to have you guys here. We're starting a new series today, a little three-week series called Dollars and Cents. Uh, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about money, budgets, debt, finances, uh, and just essentially how to approach our, our money and our finances and the stuff that God has given us in a healthy way. And I know as I say that, you guys are probably like, cool, uh, I'm going to miss the next three weeks. No, um, you know, money is one of those really difficult things to talk about. It's not really something we talk about much uh, with even friends or, or family. And then so we show up and we're like, hey, you know what, why don't we get on stage and talk about this in front of a group of people for, you know, uh, 30 minutes. And, and so it's, it's an interesting topic to talk about because we've all had different experiences. And uh, in churches, we've had different experiences with uh, giving, with generosity, with tithing, with uh, the homes that we grew up in. Some of your, you guys grew up in homes that handled money in really healthy ways and budgeted and saved. And some of you guys grew up in homes that really didn't give you a good example of, of what to do with that. Um, I know I get a lot of questions from people, and, and I've heard a lot of people ask, you know, why is it that churches just talk about money all the time, and, and why is this just something that feels like they're just always trying to get our money? And, and I can't really speak to all the churches, but I always like to say, you know, for us at South Hills, we talk about money because it's a huge part of our lives. Um, we live, I don't know if you guys know this, but we live in Orange County. Uh, we're in Southern California. We're, we're in a, a place that is incredibly expensive to live in. Many of us commute for work. We work, uh, hopefully, 40 hours a week. Some of you guys work 70, 80 hours a week. Um, you're trying to, maybe some people work a couple different jobs. You have other little side hustles, like all these different things to, to bring in money so that you can live. Money is a huge piece of the puzzle for us. And so the same reason why we talk about relationships, the reason we talk about emotional health, the reason we talk about spiritual health and spiritual growth, all of those things are huge factors in our lives. And so that's why we talk about money. We only do it probably two or maybe three weeks out of the year. Uh, but it's a really important thing for us to talk about this because um, the Bible has a lot to say. Jesus actually talked about um, money and generosity a ton, and it's all throughout the scriptures, and so I wanted to be able to talk about this today. We're going to jump into it, um, and uh, um, I know that sometimes it's not been handled well, um, this topic, and the you know, we've heard, um, I think last time we talked about money was the, the same week that there was somebody that was trying to raise money for like their third private jet, uh, like a pastor was trying to like get his third jet, uh, which is like... You know, I'm still working on my first, so one day I'll get to three. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's, there's, you know, it's not always been handled well. And so, honestly, you know, my, my tendency is like, well, it's been a painful topic. And so why don't we just not talk about it? But I think that the more I've processed through it and talked with some of my other pastors uh, and friends, it's like, well, because it's not been handled well, I think it's even more important that we talk about it. Because I want to try and take away some of the, uh, the cloudiness, some of the confusion, and really try and shape uh, our, our focus and our attention in a, in a healthy way. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about this word stewardship, which is not really a word that we use in our kind of day-to-day conversation. Uh, stewardship is kind of an older word, but uh, before the Christmas break, I have an eight-year-old, I've got two sons, one's uh, in the third grade, and he loves to read. He reads voraciously. 
Uh, there's a big word for you guys. Be impressed. Uh, and, uh, and he reads all the time, nonstop. I found out recently that he was renting books from the library on his mom's card. And then also renting books on my card. And we had like two sets of late fees. And that's not even counting the books he's renting from his school library and, and taking out from the school. And, and so all this, I mean, he just reads nonstop. And it's awesome. Like, I, I love that about him. Um, but uh, the last day of school before Christmas break, my wife was there. They had a little party in the class. And, uh, and afterwards, he was going to go to the school library to get out a couple more books before break. Something to read over break. And so he goes in. And my wife goes uh, with him. And. And uh, he introduces her to the librarian. He's like, Mom, uh, this is Fran. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know what her name was. But he introduces her. He's like, this is my mom. And, and the lady just goes on and on. Like, Mason is so sweet. And he reads so much. And we're so proud of him. And on and on. And, and Mason, uh, and just like, the, it's going to sound like I'm making this up. But if you know him, you know that he would really say something this ridiculous. I wrote it down when she told me this. Because I was like, I want to remember this forever. Uh, so the lady, the librarian is talking to my, my wife and, um, and uh, talking about how great Mason is. And he says uh, to the librarian, um, I have to tell you, I'm going to miss this exquisite collection of books that you have here over the next two weeks. <laughs> Obviously, the librarian just like fainted. You know, she's like, best kid in the world, you know. Uh, Ridiculous story, uh, and this—I mean—he's just like constantly playing ladies at all, every angle he can. But, um, but uh, a librarian, in many ways, I tell that story because a librarian, in a lot of ways, is is kind of an easy illustration of what a steward is. They don't actually own the books. Now they have a job here, but a librarian's role is to care for the books and make sure they're checked out and in properly, and, and manage the library of books. They they kind of function like a steward in that way. And so today I want to I talk about this idea of stewardship, and I want to do it through looking at two men in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. Um, and the first one we're going to look at is uh, a man named King Solomon, and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. So it's um, kind of written as wisdom literature. Some people call it kind of Proverbs. Um, it, it, it's right after Proverbs, actually, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is back there. Um, and uh, it's interesting because if you read through Ecclesiastes, there's some things um, that that I could probably tell you that you'd be like, oh, I've heard that. I didn't realize that that came from the Bible. You know, there's a, a time to laugh and a time to mourn. And I mean, all these different passages we may be familiar with. And some of these passages in Ecclesiastes, when you read them, you're like, oh, that's really, uh, that's powerful. That's, that's encouraging. And then sometimes you read some of these things that Solomon wrote and you're like, that's pretty dark, man. Uh, that's, uh, that's not okay. And so this is kind of one of those passages. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll have most of these verses on the screen as well. But it says this. I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth, for I must leave everything, or I must leave to others everything that I have earned. Starts off very encouraging, very optimistic. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So with that encouraging word, I think we should pray and just close it out for today. No, uh, Solomon is writing and he said, I, I, all of my hard work, all of my, the skill, all of the effort that I've put in, the hard work under the sun, he says, is like everything that I have earned, I have to leave it to my successors. 
And who knows what those boneheads are going to do with it. Essentially, that's my version. But he says, who knows if they're going to be wise or foolish? Who knows how they're going to handle it? If they're going to do what I would want them to do, everything that I have, everything that I own, everything that I've worked for, I have to leave it for somebody else. It is so meaningless. And this, this word meaningless is, is just full of, of hopelessness. It's full of frustration. He goes on. Uh, he says, so... I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill. Then they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? I mean, so you got yeah, he's right. I'm going to send my resignation letter in tomorrow morning. Like, it is all meaningless. I mean, this is like, this is a, 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 somebody check in on Solomon. I mean, is he okay? He seems like he's really going through something. This is, this is a very dark, very cynical, very twisted perspective. All of my hard work, all that I've done, all that I've accomplished, it's all meaningless because I don't get to control it anymore once I die. Somebody else is going to have control over this thing. Somebody else is going to get to decide what to do with this. And I earned it. I should get to decide. I, I worked for this. It was my skill. It was my wisdom. I should, get to dis- I should get to be in control over what happens with this. It's all meaningless. I think he says that three times in this passage. The reality is, is that when we feel like something is meaningless, we start to feel hopeless. And when we start to feel hopeless, we start to feel a sense of despair, and we just kind of want to give up. And, and there's so much that comes on the heels of meaninglessness, which I think is a word. Uh, I think I actually got that one right. Um, ultimately, in our, in our society, in our culture, you know, it, we're really driven by what we can achieve, what we can get, what we can accomplish the way that we look, the cars that we drive, the, the positions of power or the careers that we might have. Um, you know, there's a word, I don't really like to throw this word around very much because I, I don't know if it really ever uh, sits that well with us, but there's a, this idea of materialism that we, I think, really wrestle with in a lot of ways. It's hard to not want what other people have. It's hard to not want that nice newer car or the nice newer clothes or the nice newer home or, or whatever it might be. There's, there's a sense for us. It's like, man, I, I really want to work. I want to I achieve. I want to get that. I want to I make that happen. Solomon, ultimately, uh, he, he lives this way and he ends up feeling like things are meaningless, hopeless. And as he becomes more hopeless and frustrated about things, which we can clearly see in this passage, he wants to control it. Now, I think it's easy for us to look at Solomon and be like, hey, chill out. Uh, you're going to be dead anyways, you know. It's like, what are you getting so upset about? But I think we all kind of have a little piece of this inside of ourselves. I don't know if you guys have kids. I'm sure you've probably seen the movie Finding Nemo, and there's these seagulls that they just sit there, and the seagulls, all they do all day long is they just say, mine, 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 mine. And it's funny if you have kids. Sorry, guys. Uh, anyways, but we all kind of have this, we have this sense of, I worked for it. I made that happen. I put in, kind of like Solomon said, I sweated under the sun and used my skills to achieve these things. It's mine. 
it's mine and I don't want anybody else to touch it or tell me what to do with it. That's why so many people get really bent out of shape about taxes and all this kind of stuff. It's like, hey man, I worked for this and you're going to take this from me and I don't even get any sort of say in what you're doing. I mean, we have this perspective where we can look at Solomon and be like, hey, you're, you're kind of freaking out a little bit. But at the same time, we feel the same way uh, more than I think that we can really even recognize. Solomon was so frustrated with this reality that what he earned, what he worked for, what he achieved, that others were going to get his stuff. And he didn't have any control over it anymore. If you go back one generation, there's a, a different voice. Solomon's father was a man named David. Many of us are familiar with David. He was a shepherd. He defeated Goliath uh, on the battlefield. He became a king and, and, and was this great man. I mean, the idea of King David to the Jewish people, to the Israel, uh, the nation of Israel is like this, it's a massive thing. And, and, and so David was actually Solomon's father. So despite uh, how smart Solomon was and how hard he worked, uh, nobody that ever lived in the same time as Solomon looked at him as though he earned anything. They're like, well, yeah, you got a lot of money. Your dad was the king. Uh, you grew up in a palace. You know, it's like uh, Solomon's like, I worked, I earned, I made all of this happen. I, you know, toiled under the sun. All these, I almost said soiled under the sun. That's a different thing. That happened later in life. Um, but uh, but there's this reality that for Sol people that lived in the same time, like, I mean, Solomon he had a ton of wisdom. The kingdom did expand. It's not like he didn't do things. But nobody was looking at Solomon like, man, it's a real rags to riches story. Solomon, he really came from humble beginning. I mean, he was born into a palace. Uh, and there's a reality for us that, that we start to have to kind of recognize is that there is no such thing as a self-made person. And I think that we understand this. You know, many times we, we look at other people, we look at other stories, and we're like, yeah, there's no, I mean, everybody comes from somewhere, like somebody along the way. And every once in a while we'll hear stories that seem like, man, they really were able to do that on their own. Like they really did come from a, a really tough situation or, or humble beginnings or their family was really broken or, or whatever it might be. Every once in a while, we, and we celebrate those stories but the truth is that we all come from somewhere and none of us are really self-made. Even for myself, like I am a white man that was born in the United States of America. Uh, that's a, comparatively to the world, like I'm really well off. Uh, I was born in Kentucky, which is kind of like takes me down a couple points. Uh, but that's just a, it's a reality that I have to recognize. Like there's certain things that I get because of where I was born. Because of, you know, who I am, because I'm a guy, because I'm white, there's, there's a reality that there's certain benefits that come along with that. And, and we all have that. We're not all me, but we all have some things in our lives, skills, athletic. I mean, you guys, you guys all probably know somebody in your life that's like, why are they so good at every sport that they play? Like, there's just this, they go out there and they immediately are figuring it out. They're doing great. I'm over here, like, dry heaving on the sidelines. You know, there's, there's this reality. It's like, I mean, they are born with a, a, an ability to, to play, to understand, to, to be able to keep track of what's happening on a field or whatever it might be. We all are born and created with these realities that even if you took away the financial realities of the homes we grew up in. Even if you took away whether your parents were divorced or happily married, even if you took away health things, we all have skills, 
and abilities and gifts and passions and talents and, and all of these things that make us who we are. None of us, they are all given to us. There is no one that has created those things for themselves. Now, you can work for skills, obviously, but there's a reality that this inherent ability that we have in ourselves, it comes from somewhere. It was given to us. No such thing as a self-made person. We all owe a piece of who we are to the people and the places and the successes that preceded us. David, Solomon's father, uh, it's interesting because David didn't start out as royalty. He started out as the youngest brother of this family. He was a shepherd. He was kind of the one that was given all the menial tasks. Uh, if anybody had the ability to, the, to think, man, I, I really pulled myself up from my bootstraps. You know, I really made this happen. I turned my previous life of nothingness. Now I'm the king of this nation. I mean, if anybody wanted to do that, it would be, it would be David. He, he really, he probably would be a lot closer to being able to do that than anybody else. He had a very different perspective, though, than Solomon had, his son. At the height of David's wealth, at the, at the peak of his power, he wrote this passage. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Um, and uh, let's see here. It starts off in verse 9, I believe. And this is David. He's the king. He's already in charge, very powerful. Um, and uh, he says this, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, May you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. Talking about the kingdom that he is the king of at this point. He's like, this is yours too. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Writing this prayer, this song, and essentially what he's saying is everything that I have, all of the tangible stuff, the kingdom, the money, the horses, the armies, the, all of the stuff I have because God has given it to me. And then he's going even further saying, and all of the intangible things, the the power and the wisdom and the skills and the abilities, all of that is from God too. Everything that I have is ultimately, it belongs to God. This is what David essentially is saying. He truly believed that every single thing in his life, every good thing came from God. Then he goes on in verse 13. He says, oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Essentially, he's saying, God, even when we give you something, and at this point they're, they're doing sacrifices, they're all these types of gifts and ways to worship God, they're like, what can we even give you because it's all from you anyways? Have you guys ever had that situation where your kids buy you a present with your money? <laughs> it's like, well, this is cute. You know, it's like, it's like a little bit silly. And that's kind of what David's saying. He's like, hey, it's all yours anyway. How, it's, it's silly for me to even say I'm giving you an offering because it all belongs to you. It all came from you. Everything is yours in the first place. 
It's a really interesting perspective when you start to look at David and then you shift over a little bit to look at his son Solomon. They had totally different perspectives on their stuff. Solomon earned it. He toiled and soiled under the sun. He made it happen. He worked his whole life. And how frustrating is it that somebody else is going to get to control his stuff? David recognizes and is so grateful that all of this that he has, that God gave that to him. And he's so very aware that it all is God's and it belongs to God's and, and that he was just put in charge of stewarding it. There's that word, stewarding. It's a totally different perspective. And, and the reality is that we see this in both of their lives and both of their stories, that where you believe it came from and who you believe it belongs to determines how you believe your stuff should be used or spent or given or whatever the word is. If you believe that you worked for it, if you believe that now you own it, those two things are going to really define and, and inform wh who gets what you have, your time, your passions, your skills, your abilities, your finances. If you believe that, that it's given to you by God, that, that who you are, the family that you have, the health that you have, if you believe that these things are a gift from God and that not only he gave it to you, but it's not necessarily that he gave it to you to own, but he gave it to you to steward to hold on to, to care for. If you believe that this is something that God gave me and I'm just holding it and trying to do the best that I can for him, that changes the way that you decide how and what you do with what you have, and with who you are. Solomon would have said, you know what? It came from me. It belongs to me. I should be able to do whatever I want with it. And my successors get nothing. You know, and there's just like this perspective for him. David, like, it came from God still belongs to God, so I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do with it. There, it. It's a totally different journey. One is an idea of ownership, and one is the idea of stewardship. And what we're ultimately called to realize is that we are stewarding or caring for all of the things that God has put in our lives. The friendships, we're supposed to steward those, care for those the right way. They're a gift for us to have, to experience. The, the families, our health, our finances, all of these things. This is what a stewardship mentality is. And so we have to ask ourselves, if what I have didn't originate with me, then why did the one who gave it to me, why did he give it to me? What was his intention? Is it just for me? Is it just for my enjoyment? Is it just like an allowance? Like, okay, here you go, Chris. You get $7 this week. Spend it on whatever you want. Or is there a greater purpose? Is it supposed to be used for something beyond me? Is it supposed to help me care for other people in my life in a different way? Our time and our resources and our energy and our knowledge and our talents, what is all of that for? And one of the things I've grown to realize is that the longer that we're in possession of stuff, the more we realize that it's ours or the more we view it as ours, I, I should say. The longer we hold on to something, the more it's like, you know, Lord of the Rings. What's his name? Smeagol. He's like, mine, mine. Is that illustration too old now? Because that movie is like 20 years old. Uh, my, I've got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, and one of the awesome things about kids is that they're always hungry and looking for snacks. And so inevitably, one of them will ask me for a snack, and I'll 
I'll give them whatever it is, some sort of snack, goldfish or, or whatever it is, the, the snack du jour uh, of that day. Uh, and he'll go, he'll sit down, and then the other one will go and ask for some of his snack and be like, no, it's mine. And it's been about 45 seconds since I gave that to him. But he didn't pay for it. He's not going to shop for more. There's this perspective that he's holding on to it, and so now it's mine. And, and we, we wrestle with this same thing in our lives. When we hold on to things, we view it more and more as ours instead of really having this understanding that it really all belongs to God. He's, he's entrusting me with it. This happens with our cars, with our relationships, with our money. Uh, we start to have this shift in our perspective. We cannot be a steward if we think that we own it. If I went to the library and, and my son checked out all of, you know, all 10 of the books that he wanted to have, he takes them up to the counter and he gives them to the librarian and, and she starts scanning them and she scans seven of them and she's like, I don't really want to let you have these other three. Like, you can't do that. You can't just decide which ones we get and which ones we don't. That's not stewarding. That's pretending like you own it. The same thing happens in a totally different way. I don't know if you guys have ever had the situation where you go to a fast food place, you go to Del Taco or In-N-Out or whatever, and you ask for ketchup, and they give you one packet, as if, like, the ketchup packets are being charged to their paycheck or something like that. It's like, hey, you don't own all the ketchup. Can I please have enough for my French fries? Can you, is there, is there a way? But there's this shift that starts to happen sometimes, and these illustrations are silly, but the more we hold on to things, the more that we kind of believe that, it's mine to manage. It's mine to control. It's mine to own. Uh, and, and it becomes a, an incredible challenge for us. But it's, it's hard to fight against this mentality, this, this way of living that says, I don't own this. God has just entrusted this to me to manage for a time. It's hard to fight against that because in our culture, everybody is fighting for what's theirs. And they want to own what's theirs. And they want to have their own stuff and control their own stuff. And and so we can start to kind of slip and drift into other ways of living. We can be sucked into how everyone else thinks and how everyone else behaves around us. And ultimately, we have to have regular reminders of who our stuff belongs to, of what our priority is, of who actually owns our stuff, and what does it mean to steward what God has entrusted us with. And so how do we do this? What are the ways that we can do this? And, and so this is where the idea of tithing comes in. Uh, tithing is something that we talk about every single week at the end of our services. We always have an opportunity for people that consider South Hills their home to tithe. Uh, we'll usually talk about it for a minute or maybe three minutes, um, but we don't really talk about it a ton. And so I want to make sure that I, I have an opportunity to share, like, this is, this is why we do this. Because tithing is one of the rhythms that reminds us that God is our provider, that God is our priority. When we tithe, it's a way to remind ourselves and to fight against the other voices. It's a, remi a way to, re to remind ourselves and fight against our, our own kind of inside voices, those things that make us want to hold on to and be like, it's mine. It's mine. I have to be in control of this. I have to make sure that I'm in control so that I can provide and and all of these things that as followers of Jesus, we want to believe and we want to hold on to this reality that God is the one that provides for us. 
we rely fully on God, not just for spiritual salvation and to, to care for us spiritually, not just to care for us health, our, our health. I know when we get sick, when we have loved ones that are ill, all of a sudden we believe, like, God, they are your child. You know, we're praying these prayers, like, God, you can heal them. They're yours anyway, you know, like, but still when it comes to our finances, oftentimes we're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep controlling that one. It doesn't mean we don't need to be wise with it and use wisdom in that area, but, but there's a, a reality of stewardship that we have to start to, to process through. All throughout the Old Testament, uh, especially when, when Israel uh, is able to um, get out of Egypt and, and they're kind of becoming their own nation for the first time again. And, and, and there's this time that God steps in and he outlines these rhythms for them to do, uh, feasts and sacrifices and pilgrimages and, and celebrations and activities. And, and he doesn't just say like, hey, here's a list of 10 things I'd like you to do. Get to them when you can. He, he outlines seasons when they're supposed to have these rhythms. And the reason he does it is because the rhythms of these things, it keeps them in kind of this healthy perspective of how they view God. He knows that the rhythm is going to get them. I had to do it, sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I am a dad. I have to make these jokes every once in a while. These rhythms, God knows that when they do these regular rhythms throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, whatever the timing of these things are, it reminds them of what is most important. It reminds them of their reliance on God. It reminds them to care for their neighbors. It reminds them that they are not perfect. It reminds all of these different things that he outlines are rhythms for our benefit to help us remember who we are and who God is and how to relate to him. One of the rhythms that God introduced is in Leviticus 27. And this is where we get the idea from tithing. Uh, this is where it comes from. The first time it's commanded in the Bible, Leviticus 27. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain um, from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord and it is holy to the Lord. This is the first time that God's commanding this to the, to the nation of Israel. And at that point, they're just living off the land. That is not really much money to, to, to come by. So this idea of tithe, that word actually means a tenth. And so God is saying a tenth of what you get, whatever it is, when you get this income, when you get this crop, this, this harvest, a tenth of that belongs to the Lord. And then he says it's holy to the Lord. And this word holy, we all have different ideas, but really holy means set apart. He's essentially saying a tenth of what you get should be set apart for God. Now, ultimately, 100% of it really is his, but he's saying, I want you to remember the rhythm of setting apart a tenth of this, because as you do that, when you do that, it reminds you to keep God first as a priority, and it reminds you that God is your provider as well. It all comes from him, and when we give a piece back to him, it seals this into our hearts. This is where we get the, the core of our understanding of tithing from. And I wanted to talk about this because I think it's an important thing for us to clarify, well, why does the church always care about money? And why does God want my money? It's like, why does God want their fruit and their grains? Like, is that God, is he doing keto now? Like, what is the situation? And it's, it's not that God wants the fruits or God wants the grains. It's not that God wants our money. He doesn't need any of it. Ultimately, he wants our hearts. And he understands that, the things that we try and control the most actually control us. 
the things we hold on to the most, the things we're terrified to release over to anybody else, actually control us. And so to get to our hearts, he builds in these rhythms that help us remember and remind ourselves that God is our priority and that God, the way that God is inviting us to live, that he will provide for us. Tithing is a rhythm that reorients our lives around God as our priority and our provider. I feel like I already said that in some version, but there it is on the screen. It reminds us it's all God's and that we are stewards of what he has entrusted us with. Without this regular rhythm, without these types of reminders, uh, my concern, and I think God's concern, and, and, and the, the fear is, is that in our lives we become, maybe towards the end of our lives, we, we become a little bit more like Solomon than like David. Without these rhythms and these reminders, uh, we start to believe, oh, man, that's pretty frustrating. I've worked really hard for all this stuff. I've saved, I've accumulated, I, I've slaved over this, and, and now some other Yahoo is going to get to decide what to do with all my stuff. It's frustrating. It's all meaningless. You know, the sense of frustration that, that Solomon has. Whereas David has this reminder, this way of living of saying, God, I know that it's all yours and it's all from you. Both the, the money and the power and the abilities and the position and all of this stuff, it's all from you. And so how, how do you want me to handle it? How do you want me to live this way? And obviously the intention for us is to have a heart that is more like David's than it is like Solomon's. And that's what it means to live as a steward of what God has given us. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.